What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm going to be interviewing someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone who pretty much invented the genre, one of the most legendary figures to ever come out of punk rock, Jane County, is on the show today. That's right. There, you know, Jane's a legend before punk even happened. So we got a lot to talk about. I'm very excited for you to hear this one. More on that in one second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turned out of punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram. At left for Damien. There is a turned out a punk Instagram page and a Facebook page, both run by Tristan. They can be found at turned out a punk on their respective platforms. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that there's this podcast where it's twice a week generally they have two people on who are uh, punk, punk damaged for life. And they talk about punk music. You can also support the show by heading over to your platform of choice and rating and reviewing this thing. Thank you to everyone that does do that on iTunes. It is very much appreciated. You can also support the show by heading over to turnedoutapunk.com and picking out one of those new t-shirts that we have over there. Or you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk and checking some of the stuff that gets put over there on the Patreon like uh, footnotes, video versions of some of the episodes, lost episodes, etc., etc., etc. All right, on to... Oh, no, before we do that, I play in a band called Fucked Up. We're going to be going on tour come January. Check out fuckedup.cc for more dates of those things as they get announced for more of those shows. Also, we've got a bunch of records coming out, Year of the Horse, uh, just came out on Tank Crimes. Epics and Minutes is going to be coming out on Get Better Records. And David Comes to Life and a bonus LP of songs from that era are going to be reissued by Matador Records. You can find out more information on their website, so that fucked up.cc. Anyway, it's all out there. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, the legend, 
Jane County is here. Now, as I said off the top, Jane is a legend before punk rock even happens. Jane took part in Stonewall and in the, in the riots uh, at Stonewall. Jane was in Andy was part of the Andy Warhol factory. She was heavily involved in a lot of very experimental theater, uh, all this stuff. And then here she is also kind of inventing punk rock in the band Queen Elizabeth, which then becomes Wayne County and, and the boys, I believe the first incarnation is, and then Wayne County and the electric chairs. And it goes from there. Anyway, I could talk about Jane all day because this is a person who I think is so grossly underappreciated in terms of their importance to music. Uh, just what she has done just cannot be overstated. And if you have not heard Jane's music before, you need to check this stuff out. It's it's absolutely pivotal to understanding punk rock and where it comes from. There is a incredible four CD box set, which has just been released uh, called the Safari Years, which covers Wayne County and the electric chairs. Also pre pre that stuff. And also uh, Jane's first record, a live record recorded. The Elma combo is also on that. So well worth picking up, well worth tracking down. I think it just came out, so it should be readily available. I believe it's on cherry red records. Uh, there's also, uh, as Jane mentions on the show, Jane has a brand new song with Am Taylor. Am Taylor is also going to be on this episode. You'll hear when Am comes in. And Am was completely essential in helping me set this thing up. So, Am, thank you so much for helping me uh, make this happen with Jane. Uh, you can check out their song, I Don't Fit In Anywhere, that they have put out together. You can find that over on the Cleopatra Records website. It's on YouTube. It's on all the streaming services. I don't think it has a physical release, but hopefully one day it will be getting a 7-inch release or something. I think she mentioned that it's got a 7-inch release coming out, so that'll probably probably be available on Cleopatra Records as well, I imagine. All right. Uh, oh, I think I had another note. Did I have another note? Uh, yes, I did. Actually, Malcolm McLaren died 11 years ago. I say seven, but it, I checked it out afterwards, and it was 11 years ago. And I think that's it. All right, everyone, sit back, relax, and enjoy Jane County on Turned Out of Punk. Jane, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. I'm proud to be here. Well, I am be- proud beside- to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beside it's myself that you're problem. here. Well, I'm, I'm beside- proud to be here, too. I'm beside myself to be here because to me, I was thinking about this today. Like how can there be a rock and roll hall of fame without Jane? Because to me, you kind of invent this thing. All the people that run it are very straight, very conservative. And they would probably be horrified, uh, which is in some ways good. And because I don't know how much I really think of the rock and roll hall of fame anymore. Uh, them forever i think they finally put in the marvelettes but it took them forever they just they put in rubbish that's not rock and roll you know and uh i i don't pay any attention to it at all it's just a bunch of bull well, and i think it's nothing rock speaks that rock and roll is shame <laughs> i think nothing speaks that more than the fact that you're not there because you, you know to me you're the person that starts this whole punk thing so for that i got to say thank you I was one of the ones who started. There were some others who were starting about around the same time as me, but I was one of the early pushers of it, of the whole scene. Uh, I didn't make it commercial, so I often get overlooked 
with that fact, you know. But I was the first one to play CBGBs before it was even called CBGBs, you know, and, and television like to say we were the first to play CBGBs. No, you were not. Jane <laughs> County was the first to play CBGBs. Wayne County's Queen Elizabeth played CBGBs like how many months, months and months before television. That's no insult to television. They're fine. They're great. But I'm saying they weren't the first. I was the first. I mean, I don't know how important people consider that. But I consider it kind of important. Oh, absolutely. I was down there and it was just a ratty old place falling apart with dog shit on the floor. And, and, and he's serving chili. The chili would make you give you diarrhea and you'd shit yourself. And it was awful. And you, the smell of it while eating the chili. Smell of dog shit while eating chili is horrible. <laughs> And so it was several. The bathroom was absolutely obscene. You know, you could there was no dividers or nothing. You had you can watch people take a shit. You know, you could have an audience shitting. You know, <laughs> and so it was it was awful, really. And so uh, I went in there, and and my, my band said, "Take this place called Healy's, and we're going to play there." And I said, "Oh well, all right. Where'd you find the place? Where'd you find it this time? What kind of place did you find for us?" So I went in and I was like, oh my God. And Healy thought I was a country act. He thought I was a country act. And when I went on stage and started, he was absolutely, they said, shocked. <laughs> he could not believe it. He was absolutely shocked. He thought it was a, some little country act, some little acoustic guitar thing, country song, you know, Wayne County, Queen Elizabeth. Was is that the was the stuff you're playing at CBGB's the same stuff that's on the at the trucks record? Because no disrespect to television again, but to me, at the trucks sounds way more like punk rock than any of the television records did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's more 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 punky, more trashy. Mm-hmm. Television are, are very serious uh, 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 art people and things, which is which is good. Art is fabulous. We know that. I'm a I'm an artist myself. And uh, but uh, I, I would say if you're going to equate something to punk, that that Wayne at the Trucks LP is very trashy and very punky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And it was done right. It was recorded in about 74, 75, something like that. Anyway, really early on before punk ever hit, you know. And um, and uh, I was playing on the whole scene, you know, playing around everywhere. Really, we were going out of town and playing New Jersey, where we got escorted over the state line by the police. <laughs> that was a good gig. And when we played Rhode Island, I got shot at on stage by this guy nut with a gun, tried to kill me. Holy he had shit! To shoot me, you know. Early days were scary. <laughs> I mean, the early days were pretty scary. Yeah, people didn't know what hit him. Well, I, I was going to say, the, like the, the thing. Then my image, you know, was really shocking for people at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and because there's no one, no one's doing anything like you're doing at that time. Like, who would you just go no. and play these shows? Like, would you just kind of book the shows yeah. and then just show up and people would? Yeah, we, we, we played uh, uh, rock venues, rock and roll venues, mm-hmm. you know. We didn't do cabaret clubs or anything like that. We played total rock and roll venues. And uh, sometimes the audience didn't exactly know who I, what I was or who I was and the audience could be really, really, really shocked. And, and really, uh, really, uh, uh, one girl at one gig was standing in front of us and standing in front of the audience with her hands up said, don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. She's the devil. She's the devil. <laughs> I remember that one, our biggest fan. <laughs> I said, thank you, honey, thank you very much. Me and the devil will come visit you some night. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I read in interviews, you know, uh, that you talking about growing up in Georgia and talking about, you know, like sort of proto-punk kind of influences on yourself, like, uh, you know, Screaming Queens, I've heard you talk about. And I was just kind of wondering, you know, if you could tell me a little bit more about the Screaming Queens, because it sounded really interesting what you I read you wrote. Screaming qu- Queens are nothing but queens that scream. Um, they like to shock people. They go wrecking. That's where I get a lot, got a lot of my early stuff from, because I was a Screaming Queen. We used to go wrecking. And wrecking was to be wrecked to straight people. And wrecking meant that you were going to just go out and shock people and take your life in your hands as well. We used to, people used to get out of their cars and chase us, you know. We used to keep two pairs of shoes on us, one for running and one for parading around. <laughs> and uh, we would go wrecking, you know. We, w- we would just say uh, obscene things to people and then run and hide. You know, it was the way we, we, we were young. We couldn't get in the bars. It was our way of having fun. We had no way of having fun. Because mm. uh, when we were young, screaming queens, no, but we couldn't get in the bars. We weren't old enough. Uh, and the average age of the screaming queens were like, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And we'd go into the men's room at the Greyhound bus station and just stand in a circle and just, just start screaming our heads off. And uh, guys at the urinal would freak out, pull their zipper up and run out. You know, we make comments and go, he, I did him last night, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Y'all think people, I did him, honey, last night. He was great. Or I did him last night, honey. He couldn't get it up. You know, just anything, anything just to upset people. That's what screaming queens did. They upset people. We get on the escalator at the department stores and we'd hold a women's bra and clothes like we were putting them to us, you know trying them, going to try them on and everything, the whole store, the whole store would stand there glaring at us. But we had an audience and we loved it. It was a way to get an audience, you know, every time we got a, we got an audience, I'm telling you. We had, uh, walking across the street one day, the whole bus stopped. The bus got up and the bus driver went, look, and the whole bus stood up and looked at us across the street. We had an audience just crossing the street. It was that's what screaming queens are. <laughs> and because it's amazing that that sort of spirit of confrontation is carried into punk rock. But like here yeah, you are doing right. it for real. Yeah, 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 doing it for real. Uh, shocking people, trying to get a reaction, um, um, letting people know that they're not the only ones on this world. They're not the only people. There are other people, other types of people around. You know, you got to get used to it. You know, and here we are. This type of thing. We were very very, very rebellious, very rebellious. And some of the Queen's names are like, one's name was Chatty Cathy, one's name was Miss Hare, Miss Hare, because she always messed with her hair. Chatty Cathy, could keep a mouth shut, she blabbed all the time, but she was called Chatty Cathy. And then there was Miss Cox, now I'm gonna have to tell you what she was famous. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's amazing too, because here you are, doing you know direct action political work years before yeah. that became kind of like a, a term that people knew about uh-huh i i think so yeah it's kind of direct action kind of way of just uh, confronting people really confronting them out of their their, their narrow-minded world mm-hmm. you know people have a concept of their world and they usually stay within the concept of that concept and uh we used to kind of kick at it. We kicked it, you know, kicked it down. And I kind of carried that on in my in, uh, on stage when I was uh, uh, when I uh, <clears throat> when I started Queen Elizabeth. And Queen Elizabeth is not named after the Queen of England. 
Queen Elizabeth is named after a queen in Atlanta who was famous for modeling in a department store, but no one knew that she, she was a real woman. And so one day in the changing room, one of the bosses came in and caught her, caught her and, and, real, and, and realized that she wasn't all that they thought she was. Yeah. And they fired her. So I thought that was very brave of her anyway to do that. Yeah. You know, to take on that job and not tell anyone she was trans. But that was very brave. So I named my band Queen Elizabeth after her. The real Queen Elizabeth. The real, a real Queen Elizabeth. The yeah. real Queen Elizabeth, absolutely. So what kind real of music what kind of music were you listening to? Or was there music kind of a part of this? Or is it more just, you know, friends getting together and in which era? The, the punk. Screaming Queens, pre pre punk, I'm talking about. Oh, Pre-punk, Beatles, Rolling Stones, um, you know, everything from Jerry and the Pacemaker to the Searchers. I was a British invasion. I loved all British music and I had a huge collection and uh, people used to come over to my house because I had all, all, all the Rolling Stones albums and things like that. And uh, that kind of music, pop music and trashy music and girl groups too, like the Angels and things like that. Just Real rock and roll, I like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the Beatles in 65. I saw them live. That was incredible. I've seen the Stones live early days, too, when they were touring with Dick Tina Turner. That was amazing. And uh, I've seen uh, Bo Diddley. I've seen Chuck Berry. I've seen the Ronettes. I've seen the Supremes. I've seen the Shangri-Las. The list goes on how many people I have seen. The Doors. It just It just goes on. Because uh, you, you ultimately wind up meeting John Lennon at some point, right? You meet John Lennon a few well, like years later, I guess. Yeah, it was a very short meeting because I was, I, 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 I uh, it freaked me out. Mm. I mean, just somebody had been a hero of mine in early days and, and everything, and, and somebody had his records, and I was just, you know, a kid and everything. And then uh, later on uh, in the 70s, they were doing a party for Sergeant Pepper's Lonely. Lonely Hearts Club band to go to Broadway, but it never got to Broadway. But it was playing at a theater, and they had a party afterwards. And Bianca was there, and Andy Warhol was there, Divine was there. All these people were there, and John Lennon was there. And uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, early on, I used to use, I would I would use the women's restroom or the or the men's restroom. I would use whatever one was, you know, available. Mm-hmm. So I was dressed really in my huge wig and my these plastic kits, the whole bit, the whole Wayne County bit. And I went into the men's room, we used the men's room. So I used the men's room and I was at the at the at the uh, mirror washing my hands and in comes John Lennon and he just walked over to me with that thing and just <laughs> stared at me while I'm washing my hands. And I'm standing and standing I'm going, is that John Lennon? Oh my God, it's John Lennon. What am I gonna do? So I looked at him and said, hi, and then walked out of the room. I guess I could have talked to him or, or spoke to him and become friendly, whatever, but I was mortified. I was scared to death. It just it just mortified me. Mortified. I don't know if he followed me in there because he saw me or if he just came in. Uh, I don't know to this day. I have a feeling he might have followed me in there because we were the only two in there, yeah, and I, I blew it back. Well, I didn't vote, but I blew it by or not by overreacting and just, you know, walking out, which I I'm basically have a real shy streak in me. You wouldn't know that. You wouldn't think that. But basically, deep down beyond 
behind all that, that armor and the makeup and everything. I'm very shy. I'm just a shy person, basically. And that's why we used to do screaming. That kind of break me out of the shy mode, you know. But I was, yeah, I, I, the cat got just a cat got my tongue when I met John Lennon. It's funny you say that because I hear that from most people that are lead singers in bands, myself included, that come on the show talk about how they're generally shy people. And when you get on stage, that's almost that's like right. the chance to be free for once. You get possessed. Mm -hmm. When you hear the music, you just forget about everything. And I, I do. I just forget about everything. And I just get into it so much. I'm just doing all sorts of stuff, you know, and it's you know, crazy stuff. I can't do that that much anymore. I'm older now. And, and you know, my, my body will will really, really uh, hurt me if I do do that now. Go on stage and turn flips and do all that kind of stuff. I have to take it more easy now. But um, at least I'm still standing. I can sing. But uh, back then, when I did all the somersaults and all that kind of things on stage. It, it was like, you know, uh, beyond belief. What was the original question? No, I, <laughs> I, I, I just, have a tendency to ramble. No, no, because it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, I just was saying that other lead singers that come on from bands, you know, I hear that time and time again, that like we're generally shy people in, until we're on stage. On stage, yes. Well, you're possessed. You're, you're possessed on stage by the music. The music does it. The music brings out a whole nother character, a whole another person. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it just does that. Music's very strong. It's capable of doing all sorts of things. Music. Yeah, music is just like music. Nothing else, you know. Well, that's why they ban it time, at times. That's why they fought so hard to censor it over the years and keep it controlled. Yeah, that's why they ban some music sometimes because they, they know that it can influence people and they don't want certain kinds of music maybe or certain people to influence anyone mm -hmm. so uh, they do that they ban try to ban it or they ban it you know <laughs> well, what was it like when you got to new york uh, the first time like what was it like going from georgia to obviously new york city it must have been a, a huge culture shock for you uh yeah kind of a culture shock but there was a big i got there in in uh the first time 68 and then the, 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 and then again in 69 when I stayed for, for eons. And um, it was, there was a big street scene. Everything happened on the street. You hung out on the street. You, you leaned against cars. You leaned against parking meters. You uh, sat on stoops and annoyed the neighbors. It's a big street scene, you know, and everyone would meet on the street, party on the streets, and, and, and take LSD and trip on the streets and do all sorts of stuff. Everything was done on the street. There was a huge street street life, which is, you don't get anymore. You don't get all that street stuff anymore. But you used to. You used to people just for the streets. You know, used where you met everyone. Anyone that was anything was hanging out on the street. You know. And and what kind of music was happening when you got there? Like obviously, I think the Thugs are playing, and there's all that sort of like East Side ESP stuff going on. Yeah, well, when I got there, you know, it was like the Arm Butterfly, you know, and I got the Eda and Atlanta Zeppelin, which is starting. But uh, and then it was a lot of uh, uh, the, the Doors, and uh, uh, I remember that group. What was their name? Oh, Blue Cheer. I used to love Blue Cheer. Uh, and groups like that were playing Grateful Dead, which I, which I never liked, but they went on forever. And it just wasn't my kind of music. But uh, yeah, that kind of music, that that kind of, I would say, late hip, hippie, hippie bands. 
but they weren't really hippies. They were just kind of it caught the tail end of the hippie movement, you know. Mm. I think um, I think a lot of bands that would that were called hippie bands really weren't hippie bands. Just like there's a lot of bands that are called punk that aren't punk too. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to brand something when there's a name. It's easy to market yourself with it. Yeah. What about like the the beat stuff? Was that still going on on the east side? Did you see any of that stuff? The east side, of, of, of the east side of New York. Yeah, I was sort of the village. The village, yeah. The village been taken over by yuppies and and Starbucks and uh, things like that. And the Gap, you know, I don't know if there's a Gap anymore, but they they were uh, taken over. The East Village was sort of a holdout. You know, the West Village went real commercial. Then the East Village was hold out. Then when the East Village got popular and you could go over there and get an apartment, you know, for 300 a month and stuff like that. And now you'd pay 3000 a month for the same apartment. Hmm. Uh, back then, it, people would go to the East east side. But then it got commercialized and it's ruined and now really basically ruined. It's a shame. You can't do anything. You can't keep anything to yourself. You, you have all this commercialism coming in and just you know just ruining things i think mm, definitely it, well it's amazing how it's changed all these cities right like there's no there's nowhere for art to flourish anymore it seems not really no no and plus if you show your art on the street too and everything you're, you're probably going to get har- harassed by the police and um yeah it's it's not yet yeah, but luckily in, in the chelsea area and all of new york they have art galleries and uh People do have can have this, their art in the gap, different galleries. I had a show at the Marlboro, which is really distinguished. I had a show at the Marlboro Gallery, and um, had a, I've had some art shows that were very popular. And uh, I do a lot of my art now, my drawings. I do uh, penis drawings. They're they're draw, basically the kind of psychedelic drawings of penises, and uh, that but they're very good, and they they, they make it into the art galleries. They're, well, they're amazing just, drawings. Yeah, they're not just rubbish or quick little doodles. They're really works of art. Yeah, uh, it's uh, about the uh, the feminine the feminization of the male penis. That's why I call the show is called the feminization of the male penis. It's uh, pictures of uh, that I draw and paint of penises with wigs on, and they're wearing high heels, and their penises are wearing lipstick, and uh, all sorts of stuff like that being feminized. So when you and first it, oh, sorry, go on. You no, know, it's just very unusual. People 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 really like it. It's something for people to go <gasps> about, you know, to hear and hard about, you know. So when you first get to New York, obviously there's there's a massive art scene that's going on as well. There's the, the Warhol factory stuff, the stuff with J- Jackie Curtis's theater stuff, theater of uh, the ridiculous, yeah, like yeah. everything's kind of happening in there. Did you did you get fall into that world right away when you arrived? It was, it was, yeah. The vibrant art scene, yeah. Well, I got in, uh, I met Jackie Curtis and I was in uh, one of her, I was in Jackie Curtis's play, Femme Fatale. That's how I got my start on the New York stage was being in Jackie's play. And my big moment on stage was putting my hand under my dress and bringing out this big piece of shit and going, good golly, Miss Molly, you sure scared the shit out of me. That was my big moment on the New York stage. Jackie herself had me say that. Yeah, but it got a lot of attention. 
the people loved it. And, and Jackie got really jealous because, because of the scene. Uh, got so much laughter, you know. <laughs> and then I and then I had a, a dance to do and some stuff. Yeah, but Jackie Curtis's plays were really over the top. They were they were just on another planet, you know. I mean, the things that, that, that we got away with in underground theater back then, we'd be arrested for now. We'd yeah. be carted away. But for some reason, back then, we got away with it. Well, it's it's more extreme than anything punk from what I've heard and footage I've seen and photos I've seen. Like, it's it's actual, like, well, it's truly, like, you know, confrontational theater in, in like, a way that makes you think and challenges you. Oh, yeah, it challenges you. Of course it does. Yeah, it challenges People real challenge. The first time I saw Ridiculous Theater, I was like, it freaked me out because I had never seen anything like that in my life. It's a John Bacaro play and uh, another Jackie Curtis play called Cock Strong. At the end, this big, huge cock comes down and it comes and, and people do start singing, singing in the rain while they got umbrellas, like comedy shooting all over them. That's, that, that's kind of like what the plays were like. <laughs> and, uh, but, it was, but it was well done and choreographed and it was one just a bunch of freaks on stage just going, what's happening? It was choreographed and you had your lines, you had to be right there to have your lines right in order you, you you couldn't skip a line you had to be professional mm -hmm. they were outrageous but they, they were at the same time professional you know mm -hmm. well it's like it's like punk that like a lot of people dismiss it and they're like oh it's easy it's simple to play but everyone that does it that does it at a high level is an amazing player like this is just the medium they're yeah. choosing to express it in yes yeah, a form of expression here we had charles ludlam's uh, theater the ridiculous as well and there was john Carlos, and there was the company Company with uh, Tony and Gracias, a uh, company, uh, which was an offshoot of John Macaro, uh, off with offshoot. I've got so got my mind on shit now. An offshoot <laughs> of John Macaro's uh, theater, and we did lots of plays in that. We did a play called uh, Birth of a Nation: The Castration of Man, and Andy Warhol came to see that, and that's what convinced him to be for me to be in his play Pork. And we did Andy Warhol's portrait at La Mama. Then we, we got called to do it in London. So we all went to London. A bunch of freaks went to London and and and, and did Andy Warhol's pork. And we got uh, people in the paper saying, uh, 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 send, the, send these yanks back home. Stuff like that. <laughs> the reviews, send these yanks back home. Who do they think they are? Do <laughs> this Andy Warhol. Uh, he said, Andy Warhol, he, Andy Warhol is a pervert, you know, but we got some good, good artful uh, reviews as well. But the bad reviews were just vicious, mm. absolutely vicious. And those are the ones you always remember are the bad ones. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You, you brought up Birth of a Nation and from the story, the synopsis I've heard, it sounds like an incredible theater piece. Did you write and direct that? Oh, yeah, I, I wrote it. I didn't direct it. Tony Ingracia, who directed Pork and who directed, uh, who works for John Bacaro, directed it. I wrote it. That was my play. And uh, I, I directed part of it. They would certain, mostly certain scenes that I was doing, I kind of directed myself. And Tony would tell me if they were working or not or, or try it a different way or try it another, another way. And uh, that, that's how. <clears throat> Listen, uh, I want you to, I want you to speak to, uh, Am Taylor for one minute because I got to take a break. Oh yeah, take a take some take water. Take. My voice is in. Please, because it's Dane County and Am Taylor now. We have.
great song. I, you, I don't fit in anywhere. And ask her about me what she thinks, how gorgeous she thinks I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ann. Hey. How's it going? How's it going? Thanks for uh, setting this up and making everything. <laughs> oh, it's a huge thrill. This is unbelievable. When did you first hear uh, Jane's music? Uh, many, many moons ago. Um, it's kind of weird because I'm I'm from Atlanta like she is. And so I actually kind of met her through friends before I really knew who Jane really was, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> so, which is kind of cool. And then I, you know, I went to see her shows live in Atlanta and stuff like that when she kind of came back from New York and yeah. So I got the firsthand experience of Jane County. Yeah. From doing this podcast, I've kind of like come to appreciate George's role as being one of the first sort of incubators of punk rock in America. Yeah. I mean, there's so much music from here it's mm -hmm. it's a weird there's so many different there's many weird legacies in atlanta because we had um southern tracks recording studio in the 90s which a lot of the 90s music was recorded here with the brendan o'brien um and you know he did like stunt double pilots he did like just all kinds of stuff like bruce springsteen pearl jam like you know like all those 90s bands um it's funny because we actually just recorded in a studio with his assistant tom tatley um, who worked with Brendan O'Brien on all those records for years. And we didn't really know that he did all that stuff. And he was telling us he recorded Bruce Springsteen. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. And, uh, and uh, he works with Mastodon a lot now. So the metal man Mastodon mm -hmm. is, lives here. And they're friends of ours. Jane got to meet a couple of those people. So it's kind of a weird, like, futuristic crossover of her, you know, her yeah. stuff. There she is. Yeah. Hey, talk. Jane. You can talk for a little while. But, yeah. Uh, Ann Taylor is like the most incredible guitar player. I mean, she's just like a guitar hero type, you know. And uh, I'm so privileged working with her. We have churned out the best song, the best material that I've ever done since the old days. And really good material. Not like shit or stuff like that. But it's just uh, still has an edge to it, but it's a little more uh, up to date. But uh, I think people will like it because it still asks questions and confronts people you know, and uh, so I'm very happy with the way the recording is going. We're working on an album, it's worth the material. We might do an EP. We didn't know that we're working on so many songs on the album, it's going to be that difficult, but it was a little bit. But uh, I think we have enough for an EP now. We might do an EP and we release it on all the everywhere, all the things that you do, wherever they release it. <laughs> well, that's amazing to hear because I remember years ago, my friend who's actually passed away now, Will Monroe, brought you up here to Toronto to play Vaseline. Uh, and it was just, it was just such an amazing event to see you there. And like, you truly are, as I'm saying, like the, the four parent of this whole movement, you know, that has shaped the whole world and, and my world. And so I'm glad that you're still making music because it's important. Yeah. People can't believe I'm still around. I'm still there. I've been around a long time. I mean, if you, if you chop in my name, it goes to Jane Kennedy, goes, talk, talks a little bit about me and it goes, uh, who's. Been, basically, it says I've been around for 50 years. It says for six, been around for six decades. Not quite six, but 50. But 50 been around for five decades. So, uh, if I was been around for six decades, I'd have to start when I was 15 or 13. <laughs> but no, I'm old. I'm not that old. <laughs> well, but I think I think the thing is, you're a legend before this punk stuff even starts. From the theater stuff, from the stuff you're doing, even just the political stuff as a screaming queen. So like, just like 
you're a legend before you even start doing this music thing. Oh gosh. Ooh, a living legend. you know, really, I don't know. That's the definition, really the definition of a living legend to me. It's hard for me to look at myself in that way because I know me and I know, you know, what's under the wig and the makeup and what I do when I'm at home. I just sit at home and write music and work on my art and sit and enjoy being with my cats. I have 10 cats. I'm a cat lady. I'm an <laughs> old freaked out cat lady. And I, I love my cat, my kitty. Um, I was going to, when you first went to London, what did you get a chance to kind of get a sense of what music was like at that point? Yeah. Uh, when I got to London to form the electric chairs, the uh, the we got uh, we used uh, it was me and Greg Van Cook. He was an American guitar player, and he was with uh, Wayne County and the Backstreet Boys. Believe mm -hmm. it or not, I had the Backstreet Boys. We played Max's Kansas City a lot, and uh, we uh, we got there, and uh, we got English drummer and an English bass player. So we were like, and we were like half half American, half British. And eventually we, we took Henry Padovani from the police and he's from Corsica. So we were quite an international band, really. Wayne, Jane County, Wayne County, the electric chairs. By the way, uh, Safari Records have uh, released a box set of all of my early recordings. So if anybody's interested in all those early Safari recordings, you can get a box set now. It's called the Safari Year. Yeah, that's, yeah that's a little commercial. I have to have a few little commercials thrown in. <laughs> oh, I believe me. I'm going to be doing a big commercial off the top because uh, I think that stuff's essential. Like I, I finally found a copy of the Maxis Kansas City single, and that's one of the first huh? punk singles. That's one of the first punk records on vinyl. Yeah, one of the first. One of the first. One of the first punk records, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, when I listen to that. I'm just I'm like, wow. You know, is that me? You know, did did I do that forty something years ago? I mean, I just I can't believe it. You know. Mm -hmm. It's very strange looking back on yourself like that. Yeah, it's a good record. It's, it's held up. Yeah, but and then it wasn't until I got the at the truck stuff that I realized that that's even yeah. later into your career. Like you've already been playing this kind of music for a few years by this point. I'd already been playing it for a few years. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, very early on. One of the most earliest of all. You know, I was I was pre Ramones pre. Richard Held pre, Patty pre, everything. Well, no, Patty was around doing her poetry readings and her arts. And actually, I was then Jackie Curtis's Femme Fatale with Patty. Mm -hmm. So Patty Smith played a mafia member who had this big, huge phallic. And she'd wave it around at me and say, Hey, I, I want to fuck you. I want to fuck you. Then we have a little fucking pizza. I thought that's like, that's, that's so racist, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and Femme Fatale. And, and uh, she was great in that play. And then she was in Ireland too, Patty Smith. Uh, her big moment was to say, Brian Jones is dead. Brian Jones is dead. And then she shot up on shot up speed on stage. Whoa. So that, that was a very nice scene. Yeah. <laughs> what about suicide? They would have been going pretty early on too, right? Suicide, yeah. In the early days to suicide, the people used to call them room emptiers. <laughs> and they would put suicide on at the end of the night to get the people out of the club. And they were known as room emptiers. But then they, they, they acquired a flower and they became a, a regular band and became uh, taken seriously. But at the beginning, they, the music was just like, get me out of here, you know, and it worked. 
put on. You want everyone to leave early? Put on suicide. They'll go. And you never put suicide on first because you wouldn't have an audience left. People would leave. <laughs> did, did Queen Elizabeth play with suicide? Yeah. Queen Elizabeth, uh, Wayne County's Queen Elizabeth played with suicide early days at the Mercer Arts Center. It, uh, it was Teenage Lust and uh, New York Dolls, Suicide, Wayne County. What a Ruby show. And the, Ruby and the Rednecks were all on the same bill. Oh. And they were each all playing different rooms at the same time. So you'd have to <laughs> run from room to room. <laughs> and then the most odd scene of caved in. Yeah, the floor fell in one night, right? The whole building just caved in. It just, just caved in. And luckily, nobody was in there. And nobody was in there. Luckily, it was closed at the time because people could have been really seriously hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Framework of the building must have been really old. It must have built in the twenties and not very stable yeah and i imagine with all those bands rocking around in there too it probably put a little strain on yeah. those foundations yeah and some of the martial amps were, were kind of loud i guess they kind of infiltrated the walls and got to the bricks and kind of moved them over the building <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about the stilettos did you ever play shows with them oh yeah stilettos played with me at the 82 club I, I, it was it was wayne county at, the, uh, at, the, at that short time, it was no band. I had a band, of course, but it was just called Wayne County. So Wayne County was at the uh, 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 82 Club, where, where all the bands were playing. It, it, 82 Club was an old female impersonation club. Uh, during the 50s, it had female impersonators. That's what people used to call them, then female impersonators. And they'd have a female impersonation show. And you'd, you'd be like, oh, you try to tell the boys from the girls type of routine. It was very like that. And, but it closed down because it wasn't doing well anymore when the, when the 60s came and the uh, 60s and 70s came. And it became a rock and roll venue. And I played there. Played there. I think it, once again, I was the first person to play there, actually. I think so, yeah. And it, later, the Dolls played there and all the, all the bands played there, the Stilettos. And anyway, I played that club. Mr. Stilettos were on the bill. Yeah, it was great. They were they were they were fun. They were like a, a, a the Shangri La's on acid. <laughs> when when did it kind of start changing? Like when did the new sort of like you know like you mentioned the Ramones and obviously television as well. Like when did all these sort of bands start coming in? And was it like a, a natural sort of evolution of the scene, or is it like a new kind of wave of people arriving? Kind of both. Mm. Uh, they uh, came in around uh, 60, they came in around 65, 66, they were playing in 65, but nobody was going to, in 75, I mean, but nobody was going to see, they were thought of was just sort of like, oh no, who is this? Uh, but then that, you know, they got so tight, so good by, by 1976, people were really taking the Ramones very serious and, and uh, they were, they were just, you know, a great band, great rock and roll band and people who liked rock and roll, who love rock and roll, recognized. They used rock and roll chords, the Ramones and all this stuff, the old rock and roll chords they used. And so it's rock and roll. It really is rock and roll. Uh, punk magazine came out as punk and it started people using the word punk. But none of us really considered ourselves punk. We didn't, the word was not used. We were just rock and rollers, rock and roll band. And then punk magazine came out and, and said, the punk movement and these punk bands and blah 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 and i remember dd ramon coming into my dj booth and going they're calling us punks they're calling us punks i'm not a punk i'm a rock and roller stuff like that 
And I, it's funny because I, I, I had I used to DJ at Max's, and DD would come in every once in a while, and uh, enter the booth to have a little chat. And uh, I obtained I obtained some of the uh, punk punk uh, records from London. It was happening at that time. I, I had the Damned and Sex Pistols. The, the singles, and I was the first one to play them in America. I played the Damned, Damned and the Sex Pistols, and Dee Dee came running over. Don't play this, they're ripping us off. You know, <laughs> and I was like, I can't play it. It's just the English. They're not ripping you off, it's just the English version. No, they're ripping us off. Dee Dee was very upset with, upset with the English, English uh, bands because he thought they were ripping him off, ripping them off. <laughs> Some ways they were. <laughs> I think the English bands were highly influenced by the rock. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't think you could say that they were actually stealing. They were just highly influenced. Did you meet Malcolm McLaren when he was in New York? Oh yeah, met Malcolm. Uh, he paid me twice for a gig. Uh, Malcolm, uh, I did a, a DJ. Uh, I used to DJ too. I DJed uh, at the Red Patent Leather show that the Dolls did. And uh, I DJ there, and he paid me twice. He paid me at the beginning of the night, and then he paid me at the, at the uh, uh, end of the night. He, he'd forgotten he paid me, and I didn't say anything, being the little crook I was. So I just took the money. I just said, well, I deserve it. DJing for these assholes. You know, there's a lot of assholes in the audience. And so I said, I need to be paid twice for this. Yeah, but he, he, he tried to get the dolls to be communists. That was the funniest thing, because he, he got to sex to be anarchist but before that he had the dolls get up on stage in red patent leather and a communist sickle behind them and came over with communist music and and said can you play this music i said what is it it's communist army marching music i said what <laughs> to get people in the mood for the dolls dolls new show which is influenced making everybody think they were communists which was stupid and, but it didn't work. It yeah. didn't work at all. People were just really turned off by, by the coming thing. Malcolm just, I don't know why Malcolm didn't realize that. He should have realized he's a very smart man. But then he went to England and, and uh, the punk thing was, was coming up. They were getting bands in England and all. Uh, and um, he, uh, it was his decision to, to do that, to, to, to publicize the anarchist uh, routine. You know, anarchy is, anarchy is going to just, you know, going to destroy this, destroy that, destroy, you know, I'm an anarchist, blah, blah, blah. That was all his making, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, some people might be mad at me, but a lot of what the sex did was just made up and just sort of computerized in, in their people's brains. It's like, let's do this, let's do that, you know, which is fine because the music that came out was, it was good. It was great, great album. So, uh, that's that. But my DJ job, I met a lot of people. You, you might be the only person ever who came out financially on top of dealing with Malcolm McLaren. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Normally, it's the other way around that you they didn't get paid by Malcolm, let alone he paid, paid, paid twice. He paid, he paid me very little. Yeah. I think it was $15 or something. <laughs> cheapskate, little cheapskate. And... Um, I don't know. Is Malcolm still alive? I don't know. No, he passed away, I guess, seven years ago now, maybe? Seven years ago? It's been that long? I think so. Huh. Oh, Malcolm. Too bad. He had his value, and he was he's funny. He could be real funny. Yeah. yeah. He reminded me of a puppet. He looked like one of these uh, puppets that you set on your on your um, 
knee and pull the string in the back, you know, and talk. And you try not to move your mouth and the dummy's talking. Uh, he reminded me one of the dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's amazing too, though, how, like you're saying, like he kind of went to New York, saw what all of you were doing in New York, you know, like the dolls, like yourself, like television and just was like, okay, take it back. And he just rounded the edges off. And that's like the foundation of the punk thing. Yeah, I guess. So. Yeah, I guess. so. Well, I went to England and took all my New York experience to England and, uh, played the Roxy and that was very good. It was packed out. And, uh, Come to find out, people had been waiting for me for years and years to get there. And I finally got there because they'd been read, reading about me in the British press. I was on the cover of Melody Maker at one time during the Bowie, the Bowie era, the David Bowie era, uh, went, uh, to Bowie's dismay. He wasn't entirely happy with that. But anyway, I was on the cover of Melody Maker, uh, Rocks on the Wayne, it said. And uh, it was about David coming, doing this show in England, but then it the article became like about me coming to come in there to see the show. <laughs> and I made the cover <laughs> and David was really, he was so upset. Oh, God. Well, was, was the stuff that you recorded for main man supposed to come out or was it always just demos? The stuff that winds up on the, at the truck stuff. There were demos. I sent them to David. I sent them to Bowie and he, uh, he, he was supposed to do an album for me. And uh, I kept sending him about four, sets of demos and they never he never produced them anything but some of the some of the ideas came out on some of these records like diamond dogs and things mm. and uh pinups particularly uh too uh about the, the idea of doing that the cover and everything was my idea as well but um yeah by then by sending him four four sets of demos i got the idea of what was happening what was going on it wasn't going to produce an album obviously it was just listening to my material and getting new ideas from it, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I stopped, I stopped that. Do you remember when the New York dolls first showed up? Oh yeah. 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 They came out like two weeks before me, before Wayne County's, Wayne County's Queen Elizabeth. Uh, they came out two weeks before me at the Mercer Arts Center. And, uh, uh, that was in, uh, seven, oh, okay. I can't remember the years, early seventies. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, going way back uh i i was uh when we when me and my band came to see the doll uh my band were going oh my god oh no wayne look they're wearing women's shoes oh my god oh no wayne look they're wearing lipstick oh my god wayne look they're, they're dressed in women's clothes <laughs> i like that because it's the early days the, the dolls they they dress more like in women's clothes they cut that out later but they would wear thrift shops things you know and David was always fun to wear women's shoes. And I was saying, all right, all right. You know, they beat us, they beat us two weeks, coming out two weeks. Uh, but I had to explain to my band, you know, that it happens, you know. It, it, it just because the dolls came out. There was nothing like me, you know. I was just, that was the full routine. And they were like, just sort of dabbing around uh, the dolls. Oh, and they were like live. They did live shows at Merch Arts some of some of the sets were like some of the best rock and roll I had ever heard in my life. Uh, Sometimes that uh, they would have a new song or something that would that that would fall apart in the middle, but no one cared. Sometimes the songs would fall apart in in the middle, but no one cared, and they'd do another song. 
and and maybe one guitar would be out of tune, but it was, it was all it was all a big scene and it was a big rush and everything. Things weren't perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Things were it, things were like it was it, things went by the feeling of everything and not not by the uh, uh, how professional it was. It just went how, how, what the feeling was about. And when the dolls started playing, the feeling was like really amazing. People were coming to see them and and, and uh, flipping out and people were that saying. Um, Danny Danny Goldberg said this is the best band came out of New York since the Velvet Underground. I don't know. Some people would argue, I guess, but that's what he thought when he saw the dolls. Now you gotta remember that gotta remember this is pre-blondie, pre-television, pre pre everything. It's very early 70s, yeah. You know? And uh, well, because who was playing around around that time? Like the Fugs would have been playing kind of rock and roll, I guess, and like and the Velvet Underground, obviously, before. I don't remember. Uh, Lou Lou uh, put together the Velvet Underground and played upstairs at Max's. You know that that album out too. And I, I saw those shows. And he uh, he was playing his his shows. They were like the comeback shows, but not but not the first days of Velvet Underground. That's that's very early New York. Um, but uh, I missed Fugs. I didn't get to see the Fugs. I, I've I've heard them and heard their music and everything. I smell like homemade shit. No, you smell like homemade shit, whatever it's called. Yeah. And they were like, I love uh, I think the fucks are great. Uh, they were like old beatniks, got together to uh, put together a band of beatniks. You know, they were really fun. I love the mm-hmm. fucks. Mm-hmm. Amazing band. And uh, and once again, yeah. that same sort of spirit of punk before there was punk. It was pre-punk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They had an attitude. Yeah, attitude is really rebellious. It's very anti-government very anti-society uh, in general. You know, it's part of the uh, uh, alternative, uh, al- the alternative uh, uh, scene that was going on at that time, you know. Huge, uh, huge alternative scene uh, during, the, right, right, during the hippie era, right when the hippie era went over and kind of into the glam scene too. And then the glam scene went over into the punk thing. The punk went into the new wave, which was very unfortunate. I think New Wave killed punk off. You know, I think that the record companies put New Wave together on purpose to kill punk, and and, and it did. It killed punk. But whatever, that's just my opinion. <laughs> what what about the No Wave stuff that was kind of starting in the early '80s in New York and late '70s in New York? Oh no, no, I just they just took the name. Yeah, I always got to think of something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know who was that. James Black and the James Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He used to get on my nerves, but uh, <laughs> yes, he got on my nerves. A lot of those bands got on my nerves. Yeah, I just didn't care for them. that. Was my personal. It's just my personal opinion. Doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that they weren't for me. I didn't. I, I still like the more rock and roller bands, and they were they were too arty and too jagged, and and it just didn't suit my personality. What about the next wave of bands that kind of pop off in New York, like bands like the Mad? And bands like the Stimulators, were you seeing any of those bands? I guess I did. I don't know. I don't know much about those bands. I was in England touring at that time. Yeah. But a lot, a lot of bands came out that were like not really punk. It was just kind of kind of jumping on the punk bandwagon. You know, a lot of bands started doing that. Say, let's just say we're punk, or let's just play this kind of music for a while to get noticed. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of bands did that. A lot of bands in New York, a lot of bands in London too. 
did that to get a t- just to get attention for themselves, but they really weren't pumped. Uh, they went in new way. They just I don't know, just dance. <laughs> Uh, you do the the first Jane County record comes out and it's recorded at the Elma Combo in here in Toronto, right? What the the first Jane County live record was recorded in Toronto, right? Oh yeah, Toronto. Oh, yeah, I thought you said there was something on now. So maybe <laughs> release something. Uh, yeah, it was recorded at the what's the name of the club again? Elma Combo. Elma Combo. I forgot about them. Yeah, it was recorded there. I don't like. I, I don't care for the some of the stuff that's kind of off in it, but it's a good live, live rock and roll band. It's re- very, very trashy, and uh, uh, I would have done it different, of course, but uh, never mind. Yeah, it, that's, that's it. it came out in 1980. It was New Year's Eve, and uh, it went over from 1979 to 1980. Would you come up to Toronto a lot to play? I played Toronto a lot. Yeah, I did. I played that club a lot. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I loved it too. And Toronto was one of our biggest, best gigs. Yeah, I love Toronto. I I even had thought of a, while I was we were playing the gigs. I thought of maybe relocating there for just a short time. Time I liked it so much. Yeah, I liked the people and the fans and the the people that came to see us were just amazing and they reacted and they clapped and they showed their appreciation. Mm-hmm. And I was I was really really appreciative toward the Canadian audience. For doing that, they 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 supported me. They they were big supporters, and I later on I did a whole uh, tour of Canada. I played one right all the way f- from the Toronto all the way to the west coast. Yeah, to Vancouver, right? And I played these weird places where lumberjacks would show up. <laughs> we played I played this town, and it was full of like lumberjacks, and I'm afraid to go on stage. Well, but they were fine. I'm sorry, go on. They were fine. They were the lumberjack. They were fine. They liked, they liked the music. They enjoyed it. But I looked out there and saw that. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be murdered. Yeah. You know? Well, you're, you're one of the first punks that toured Canada. Like, there weren't too many bands going across Canada then, that's for sure. Yeah. I guess there wasn't that many, no. No, uh, I was booked early days on, too. Um, I, oh, I can't think. I'm bad with names. But someone in Canada uh, flew me in the band up. Uh, they were doing uh, a showing of the Rocky Horror Show. Yep. They wanted live bands at the, at the beginning of the show before the movie starts, and they flew me up. And so I did. Uh, I flew up and, and did uh, did Canada. That was my first gig, and it, it was it was great. And then the it's, it was the same guy that ran the uh, the other club. What you call it, El Macumbo? Was it Gary Top? Yes, Gary. Yeah, Gary, yeah. the Garys, yeah. legendary promoters. Yeah. He, they, were, they were the first ones to book me in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary, the Garys, yeah, the first ones. And they booked me for this this Rocky Horror Show night, and it went down a storm. And that's one of the first punk shows in Toronto, I believe, too, because Rocky Horror Picture shows how they transitioned into doing punk shows. People didn't want the movie to start. They wanted us to keep on playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Jane, I could talk to you forever, and I don't want to keep you all night, but is it okay if I ask you a couple more questions before I let you go? Go ahead. Um, I was wondering, what about the mumps? Did you have any interaction with Lance Loud and the mumps back? Lance Loud and the mumps. Yeah, they were on the scene. I, I, I hung out with them, you know, hung out with Lance Loud and people. Yeah, I, I, they were on the scene. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame they didn't get recorded till late, later on. But uh, yeah, they were on the scene. I was friends with the Lance. We were friends. 
they were, they were a lot of groups like the monks and other groups too that were kind of good, but there were a lot of groups that were just no, not good at all as well. Yeah. What about the band, the dogs that moved from Detroit for a while and lived in New York? I never heard of the dogs. They, they played, I know they played with the dictators and they played with kiss just before kiss got signed. <laughs> uh, I never, never heard of the dog. Okay. Really? I, I wouldn't have known because I had that fight with Dick Manitoba at CBGB's and, and the dictators and I were speaking with each other. And it was, and, there was a lot of people on this side, and a lot of people on that side, and they weren't speaking. They were, it was kind of like a war zone for a while. Mm. I mean, if they had much to do with the dictators, I probably wouldn't have never noticed. I think this would have been before that. Like, I think it's even before CB, before you played CBGBs for the first time. I think it's like 70, 72, I think, they're there. Oh, my God. Really? I, 72? I, mean, I don't remember them at all. Yeah, they were only there for a short period. Then they went back to Detroit and then back to to L.A. But they're just this band that seems to show up in various places before punk hits. Uh No, I don't remember. They were from Detroit? Yeah, yeah. They they played with the MC5. Later on, I will Google them. (laughs) And I guess finally I wanted to ask you, um, and this might be a very long discussion. We don't have to get all into it right now, but... um, just about like sort of your opinions on where punk has gone kind of since this period. Like where, where's your. To me, punk was a, not only just the sound, it was a time and place as well. Mm. It can't, it can't be duplicated. People can duplicate the sound, but it's not, the, it's not the same. It's the time era. It's just out of joint. You know, it, it's, that was a certain piece of time and a certain place. And, 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 at that time and a, a certain sound and it which just doesn't uh, and, the, and, the, and the feeling of it that, which it created and everything it's not there anymore it's gone i think yeah. it's I mean, people could make, argue that some oh no there's a band in omaha who was there the real punk they're playing and i'm not sure about a band in omaha <laughs> well Anytime, Jane, you want to come back on here and talk about a band from New York or a band from Omaha or wherever, you know the door is always open. Well, thank you. And tell everyone to get our single, I, I Don't Fit In Anywhere, with Am Taylor and uh, Jane County. Thank you, Jane, for coming on the show. And as you heard right there, hopefully Jane will be back for a part two at some point in the future because there's a lot more to talk about. There's so much more to get into. Check out that At The Truck stuff. It came out in 2006 on Munster Records, so it's out of print now in physical format, but it is available on streaming services, and it will completely, uh, it completely upended my whole little pet punk rock theory that I was working on about the development of punk rock, because this stuff is oh, sonically... Anyway, check it out. Speaking of checking things out, later on this week, or in a few short days, you got to check out turned out a punk because we are going to be coming to you with a, a rock and roll hall of famer. Now I know off the top of this show, we both Jane and I kind of, you know, downplayed the rock and roll hall of fame, but they do put in the right people sometimes. And this year is definitely an example of that because this is the year that the go-go's went into the rock and roll hall of fame and on turned out a punk so far, we have had two members of the Go-Go's. we got to have more. Coming to us next week on the or in a few short days on the show, Gina Shock will be here from the Go-Go's. That's right. And also, she played with Edith, the Egg Lady, 
from John Waters films and we get into all this stuff. It's a very fun conversation and I'm very excited for you to hear it. All right. That is it for this episode of the show. Remember as always black lives matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and, and different races and, and just knock. We need to smash fascism out because the stuff we're talking about here, this, this stuff isn't uh, political. This is, these aren't political issues. These are human rights issues. People have the right to live free without fear of hatred and violence coming at them. So get involved in organizations that are doing positive things in this world. Lend your support financially, your time, whatever you need to do, you know, get involved because uh, if you don't, maybe, maybe, uh, well, I'm sure other people will be involved too, but like they, they probably need your help too. You know, uh, speaking of things you can help doing help by help the world by making your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a record label, you know, you, you can wind up changing the course of music history like Jane did. Or maybe you just make a song that your friends get to hear or draw a picture that your friends get to see. You know, you don't have to put it out in the world, but just just try something creative. It'll help you with your mental health. Speaking of which, try meditating. I really cannot stress this enough. I didn't believe in it at all. Tried it and it's kind of working for me. Maybe it will for you. Who knows? Sign your organ donor cards because, once again, who knows when you're not going to need them anymore and they could save someone else's life because I've seen that happen too. And it is an uh, incredible thing to witness someone getting a new lease on life because of an organ that they receive. So sign those organ donor cards. And I think that's it. Uh, stay safe, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.